Hi everyone, welcome to episode 12 of Books with Jen. I have finally got my act together and this podcast is now available in all the places that podcasts should be available. Um, If you're new to the podcast, hello, my name is Jen, I'm an author. I also have a YouTube channel um, which you can find at youtube.com forward slash Jen V Campbell and I started this podcast two years ago, Books with Jen, as an addition to my YouTube channel where I interview authors and talk to them about their books but I had just been uploading the episodes as audio files to YouTube which is fine for streaming when you're at home but I appreciate is annoying when you want to listen when you're out and about so now this podcast Books with Jen is playing on YouTube as well but is also available on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud and the podcast app so if you have Android you can find it on Stitcher if you have an iPhone you can find it on the podcast app Um, So I'm very happy that I finally done that and I hope that you are too. Today I have a very, very special guest, someone that I was just so thrilled to be able to talk to. Her name is Fatima Farhian Mirza and she is the author of A Place For Us, which if you have been listening to me talk on YouTube recently, you will know is my favourite book so far of 2018. It is masterful. It's one of those books you read as an author and simultaneously love and hate because you know that you will never craft something like that yourself. Um, In this podcast, uh, Fatima was over from the States and um, I got the chance to sit down and talk to her. So this podcast is basically an introduction to this book. If you haven't read it before, we're not spoiling it, we're not ruining anything, don't worry. We're just going to introduce you to the characters that she writes about. And if you have already read this book, then it will provide a bit of insight into what Fatima was doing when she was creating it too. It's not really a book I don't think that you could ruin per se because... um, It's a book that is a character study of this family. Um, And there are key things that you could spoil, which as I said, we haven't. But overall, you just come to know these people so intricately. And it's the little details and the little things that perhaps plot-wise are inconsequential that make you marvel and stop and stare and just, I don't know, adore this book so very much. I also recorded a podcast with Sarah Jessica Parker, who um, has recently set up an imprint with Hogarth um, at Vintage. It's called SJP for Hogarth. As an editor, Sarah Jessica has been going through manuscripts and picking out books that she wants to publish. And this book by Fatima, A Place for Us, is the first book that she picked. And that was how I actually came to read it to begin with. Um, Vintage Books got in touch with me and asked if I would do a podcast for them with Sarah Jessica Parker for their um, for their podcast not for mine and I said yes so I read this book with absolutely no expectation at all and was so blown away by it so if you would like to listen to me chat with Sarah Jessica about how she discovered this book and how it came to be published then you can go over to the Vintage Books podcast and listen to that there but stay here first and listen to this podcast first. It was a pleasure to speak to both of these fabulous women. So A Place for Us, Fatima's book, is about an American Indian Muslim family and five members of that family. So we have Layla and Rafiq, the parents, and then we have their three children, Hadia, who is the eldest, Amar, who is in the middle, and Huda, who is the youngest. Huda is the member of the family that we learn least about, which I think is telling in itself. She is almost on the outskirts of this family, staying out of all of the drama. Then there's Amar. 
he is missing when this book opens. Well, he's not missing, but he has been gone for several years. The book opens at the eldest daughter Hadia's wedding, and she's hoping that her brother is going to show up. He's been away for several years, and he does show up. And there's a lot of tension in that room. Then we dive back into the family's past. We dart about all over the place. This book is not linear, but you never feel lost when you're reading it either. And we see all of the things that the family did and what they could have perhaps done differently, why the communication between them wasn't so great, why Amar left, etc., etc., and all of the little things that plague these characters, which are so true to life, the little things that we said once upon a time that perhaps other people have forgotten, but we remember so vividly. So I will pass you over to past me, who was talking to Fatima, and the first question I asked her was how she was feeling now the book is out in the world, and was she finding it overwhelming? It has been a complete whirlwind. Yeah. Um, I know that that sounds like such a cliche thing to say, but ever since it came out on the 12th in the US and the yeah. 14th in the UK, and I just feel as though I haven't stopped going since then, and I haven't been able, and I think I'm, by nature, I'm somebody who processes things in retrospect. Mm. I think that's why the form of the novel is so exciting to me because it's essentially people who are just trying to process what they've gone through. And so mm. I, there's a part of me that feels like I, it'll take me a while to catch up to what this moment has felt like or yeah. what it's like to meet readers who are reading the book for the first time or what it's like to have even shared it with my family and my cousins and my friends. I think, yeah, I think it'll take time. Yeah, I mean, it's taking, oh, how long is it taking you to write this book? Is it eight years? Is that, was that right? Almost. Um, over, I started it when I was 18, and mm. I finished it when I was 26. And so... Yeah, so you've been holding it to your chest for quite so a long, long time. So long. It's been my secret. It's been my... It's been the highest aim of my days, is how I would think about it. Yeah. Every day I had one goal that was the, the priority of my day, which was, okay, understand the characters a little bit better. Mm. And so there is a part of me that... Um, well, I haven't had time now to kind of mourn them or mourn um, the, the loss of that, you mm. know, um, that pro part of the process. But I, for so long, that was my, yeah, that was the focus of my days. Yeah, because I suppose now you have released them and now they yes. belong to so many different people. Right. And that, I mean, I know it's terrifying, I'm just, but I'm imagining it for you because... Everything that I have, have written so far, I haven't done a novel yet, so it's been short stories and the characters have spent fleeting moments with people, but mm -hmm. people have spent so many hundreds of pages with these characters, and this book is entirely about them and their intricacies. So, I mean, speaking from my own experience of reading it, there are people out there who now really know them, mm. um, and that must be, not to speak for you, but is it overwhelming when you go to events? Do you find, maybe you find people haven't read the book before they come to see you and then they read it later, but it must feel quite intimate. Yes. Um, the most moving responses have been um, really unexpected for me because, you know, when I, all the years that I was working on the novel and writing it, I, I was just so focused on the page that I yeah. never stopped to consider what is I never stopped to consider the reader. Of course I did in terms of what would one who's not me need to know in order for the scene moment to make sense. But in terms of what could this story mean intimately to a reader, sure. I never thought of. And 
um, I'm actually glad that I didn't, didn't think of. It allowed me to really, it was a, it felt as though I was just in communication with these characters mm. and we were in a room alone together. Yeah. Um, but the most moving responses have been from readers who, um, you know, are of, are from like the community that this, this family is set in, are, um, that I recognize myself, you know, mm. in, in them and in their response. Uh, young women who say that they, that they really related to the scene where Hadia is lying on her driveway after having gotten into a fight with her father. Mm. And she's just, um, and that particular pressure that she faces of, you know, do I step out or do I stay? And what do I make of, um, you know, this this relationship that I have with my dad where he wants me to be something that I can't. And I, I think all daughters relate to that to some degree or all sons do to some degree. I would say especially the eldest child as yes. well because she feels that responsibility. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But the most moving has been um, women who it who have connected to it on all of the levels yeah. that, that, you know, that Hadia brings to the table that I w- brought when I was myself a young girl laying on the driveway, you know? Yeah. What has your relationship with writing been? Because I know when you went to uni, you went to pre-med, right? Yes. Um, so how has writing been involved in your life? So I've always been a writer. Mm. My, um, in my earliest memories, I'm writing, I'm or I'm telling, you know, elaborate stories with my brothers. Mm. Um, I I say that I wrote my first memoir when I was six years old. It was like four pages long, but it was called My Memories. Hey, four pages when you're that young yeah, is yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I just wrote my whole life. My mom has this, my mom always likes to tell this um, story about this poem that I wrote in second grade that we've kept that's about the moon. And mm-hmm. it's a letter, which is so interesting to me, both the memories that I wrote when I was down when I was six yeah. and this poem that I wrote when I was in second grade how old mm. are you when you're in second grade year two i um, don't know because the grades here are different right but year two uh, maybe is... 10 or 11 okay maybe nine okay that's year six here it's confusing oh okay who knows it's anyways <laughs> my mom always tells this like that she loves this poem that i wrote to the moon it's i remember writing it it's this letter that i write to you know how the moon you know um the phases of the mm-hmm. moon but as a kid i'm like why do you go away like i don't i don't like that you go away kind yeah. of is the premise of this poem but it's so interesting to me that writing has always been a part of my life and not only that but I was also the images that that um asked me to to write them down when I was a kid are the same ones that I've returned to when I sat down to write this novel at 18. That's really interesting because I was thinking about that when you were talking about themes that reoccur. One of the first, well, not one of the first poems that I wrote, but one that my mum always also likes to whip out. Why do parents do this? (laughs) You just whip out and you're like, can we leave that in that drawer, please? (laughs) And this is after I had begun writing the novel. I was about like 120 pages into it and my mom would still only talk about the poem. And I would say, mummy... I'm working on a novel. That poem is from when I was in second grade. Let it go, you know. Yeah. The one that uh, this one is, is about, I wrote a letter to the tide and it going out. Yes. Strange parallel of where it went. And now the sea is a mass effect from my work. But yeah, my grandma, she's like, when are you going to write? I really love that poem that you did that rhymed and was about a daffodil. (laughs) It was terrible. And I was like, nine. Um, So that was uh, your writing when you were younger. So what made you decide to switch from pre-med to do creative writing? So um, when I was 17, I made a deal with my dad 
that okay. um, that if I was able to move away for college, I would study pre-med. Mm. Um, and so he accepted, and I was excited to move to um, UC Riverside, and I hated my pre-med classes. I was totally miserable in them. I was not doing well, and I would take creative writing classes as a way to um, keep my sanity, and mm. also because to honor that part of me that had always written, always would write, mm. um, and and knew that. Um, but it was not, and it was in one of those classes that I actually began writing this novel. Yeah, and. It was not until I met these characters, it was not until I felt myself caring about them as though they were outside of me and um, bigger than me, more important than mm. than what I wanted and what I didn't want. And they were, their story, I was so, I, I just felt so compelled to write it. I just felt as though this is what I've been put on the planet to do. Mm. And I just would, I just love them and want to do justice to their lives and to their consciousness and so it wasn't until I felt that feeling that I was able to um, go back to my father and reorganize my life making the novel the priority mm. it's it's as though I had always liked writing but it wasn't until I wanted to write this novel mm. that I decided and now I and now I change my path and now I devote myself and now I that's an amazing answer though because that's what every writer wants right they for it to feel like you have to be writing this as opposed to sitting down and saying, right, I want to write a novel and I need to find all of these things. What was the image that you had of these characters? Was it at Hadia's wedding? Yes. Yes. So it was, um, it was, uh, the first image that came was a family that's gathered at a wedding and I knew that it was the wedding of the eldest daughter and they're about to take the photograph for the, um, like the wedding portrait, the yeah. family portrait. And the characters are, the family members are looking out at the sea of crowds that have gathered gathered at the wedding, and they're all worried, and they're all wondering the same thing, which is, will our son make it in time? Or mm. will my brother make it in time um, to take the photograph, or will we have to do this without him? And I kind of, I, I couldn't get that image out of my mind because I just, it's one that asks so many questions. Yeah. Why... What kind of a family is this? Why would the son not be present? If he's not present in that moment, where is he? Mm. Is he still at the wedding? Who is he speaking to? It just, it was an image that each question led to um, another. Yeah. And each question, um, I knew that I didn't want to stay in the no in the wedding. So even though I began at the wedding, yeah. even though I um, began also at the moment that Amar comes home, I quickly found out, oh, he's he's run away. And so he's in a, it's a very um, fragile situation that yeah. they're all in. And so maybe he'll leave again, was what I was thinking. Um, but I knew that in order to really understand that moment, to arrive at that moment in the novel and have it have some impact or have it, um, that I'd have to go back in time. I wasn't really interested in, what's happening after that moment or yeah. making that moment the only arc even though in the end part three that does become the arc mm -hmm. the wedding itself is is the but I wanted to know what was Amar like at five yeah. what was Hadi like at 13 what was Layla like when she first found out that she was pregnant mm. and how do each of those scenes come together to make it seem impossible that they could have 
that it could have been another way for them. Yeah. That they wouldn't one day end up being this family who doesn't know if their son is going to make it in time for the photograph. Yeah. What are all of their possible selves? Yes. Yeah. And what are those moments before they made became solidified into those people? Yeah. Before they solidified into that fate of mm-hmm. each other? Um, you know, if Hadia betrays her brother in, in, in at one scene, what is her mind like um, um, leading up to that betrayal? Mm. What is that scene where it still could have gone a different way for yeah. them? Not not to say that because these things happen, that happens, mm. but just to ask the reader, is it because these things happen that they ended up where they did? Yeah. And I also didn't want the blame to be one-noted or one-sided. Yeah. I, it, the life is not like that. Right. Yeah. And if if the question does ask, okay, is it that Hadia betrayed her brother? Mm-hmm. I also wanted that to, to then ask its own question. Okay, why did she betray her brother? Who betrayed it, Hadia? Like, yeah, who what, betrayed yeah. Hadia? And how has she been brought up to think that people should be? Yes. And what is just and what is right? Yes. Um, yeah. And, then and we can't give specifics because right, it's spoilers. I know. But... Um, yeah. But what I also really like is because uh, most of the book is in third person and you're in the moment with the characters at the particular moment they happen to be in. So you don't get a character who's um, looking back at something that they've done and try to justify it because mm. you you see how they feel then. Um, and I think the psychology of the decisions that we make are interesting because once we have made a decision, our brain, the further on we go, we write certain things so that we feel comfortable with the decisions yes. that we have made. So if you ask someone why they did something, you're not going to get the actual truth depending on you know what point in time you're asking them that. That's fascinating. Um, and what I love about your characters is when they're thinking back on things that they have done, they remember their guilt. Yeah. Instead of I wish I could hug you right now. <laughs> <laughs> they they remember times when they have screwed over other people or said or done the wrong thing instead of focusing on injustices that they feel have been done to them, which of yes. course they think about sometimes too. But it's that guilt that plagues them where they try and fix situations and they just they just can't and yeah. they just get themselves into such a huge mess. Yeah, um, I'm so ha- I'm so I can't even tell you what it feels like to hear you say that. Um, <laughs> partly because I think that um, that's that's what I not th- th- not that that's what I wanted, but that's what I also realized yeah. with these particular characters mm. that they're all they're all looking back in time, but they're all looking inward. Mm. I think we should give some specifics to yeah. the people listening. So. Obviously, we want readers to discover this for themselves, but maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you think is the motivation for each character, mm-hmm. um, some key thing that you worked out about them as you were writing it that might yeah. intrigue them to pick up this book. Um, so the way that I think of it is that this is a um, this is a family, and each of them have their own arc. Mm -hmm. own story within the family story but what ties their story together is the question of Amar he's the one that the the every consciousness is revolving around trying to go back to and say Hadia as an older sister is thinking um you know she's ambitious she's very um she's very responsible she Mm. does what's asked of her she does her best to make her parents proud Mm -hmm. and I wanted to, with her, I wanted to ask how much of the way that she is 
is because she's sensitive to how her son, her brother, was disappointing their parents. Mm-hmm. How much did she feel like she had to? Um, because I really wanted to know, in small ways, how do these personalities echo off of each other yeah. and create each other? Yeah. Um, and so, I, so not only is Hadia ambitious and she tries to make her parents proud, but if she sees how Amara is disappointing her parents, is she then doing that more? Yeah. And then is she kind of stuck? You know, is she mm. is she forced into that role because it's a burden? And then also when she's performing that role, um, I would sense it would make her not bitter but cross because of what kind of behavior in her family is rewarded yes exactly Uh, yeah Yeah. and then that changes her again right when she sees that amar protests for the shoes yeah because amar wants these shoes he does want he wants he really wants these shoes and hadia is is like astounded because the parents they know at first Mm. but instead of listening amar continues to protest yeah and and the parents are so kind of proud and open and willing to 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 meet amar where he stands and hadia is in shock because she just thinks I wouldn't have done that, mm-hmm. you know. I would like you, like I would have stopped. And I yeah. think that's that is one thing that I was also interested in in figuring out in these characters, um, this idea of love in this family and the way that love fun- functions. Mm-hmm. For Layla and Rafiq, love is if you love me, you listen to me, you yeah. know. And for Hadia, it's her response to that kind of pressure is okay. Mm-hmm. Then I'll listen to you. Mm-hmm. But for Amar, it's like well. How much do you love me? And mm-hmm. and if I don't listen, how much can I stretch this space? How can I push it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but so, you know, one thing that I loved in dis- putting these characters in these scenes is charting how their impulses are similar, but how because of their personalities they play out in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, when Hadia is fifteen, she thinks she like storms out of her house because her father won't let her go to this party because. There will be boys there and yeah. dancing and, you know, who knows. Um, but then she says something like, she'll never escape this place unless she runs from it, mm-hmm. which is a thought that it, that is so familiar to any kid who's angry at yeah. their parents. Um, but what's interesting to me is that Hadia has that thought, and she stops right before the line in the driveway, mm-hmm. right before the driveway then becomes the sidewalk, and she lays down and she looks up. Um, whereas Amar, that thought comes to him too, mm-hmm. but he's the one who actually runs. So the other impulses, um, Layla, when she, I feel like we're just, keep, we're just geeking out. I know, we're just fangaling, it's fine, yeah. it's all right. <laughs> I mean, but how, you know. Fangaling over your own book is allowed. <laughs> it's allowed. Um, so Layla, she, her question is, you know, um, what kind of a mother was I? Mm. Did I give to one? Because she knows, you know, even when we're approaching these scenes at, in the present tense when Layla's 26 or, you know, when her kids are very young or mm. when they're teenagers. The fact that those scenes exist at all is is because Layla knows that there's a future in which her son leaves. Mm-hmm. And so even in those moments, there's a greater consciousness that's working through the novel to mm. kind of go back to these moments. And l- the way that I think of it is, like, Layla has selected these scenes from her life to be the ones okay. that indicate this is what it was like for me to be alive, mm-hmm. this is what it was like for me to be a mother, these were the moments when I could have, you know, done better. This is what I said to Hadia one day that put in her this guilt. Um, mm. You know, when she's, there's a scene where she's looking at Hadia and she says to her something like, you know, if you treat him like this, it'll affect his personality for his yeah. whole life. And so I, so with Layla, I think she is really returning to those moments where she's thinking, what did I do? Mm-hmm. What, where was my 
role in all of this? How did I create the same dynamics that one day came back to haunt me? And for Rafiq, do you think it's similar? Yes, so Rafiq is, Rafiq's voice is unique in that it's the one that's in first person. When you did that, I was so worried. <laughs> oh, you did? You page. were like, oh, no. I was like, oh, my God. Because, no. yeah, the first three three quarters are in third person yes. and the last quarter is in first person. I turned the page. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. No. I was so worried. But then I needn't have been because it was fine. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you get some books because you're so into it and you're into the the way it's written and then it changes and it just doesn't work but you pull I up. understand I what um, made you choose to do you know that? I it wasn't a choice mm. I didn't even know that that voice would exist yeah I had been working through in some ways I know that the novel is trying to trace all the threads of guilt and all the mm. threads of um, not only guilt but also you know the characters don't try to justify themselves mm-hmm. but they justify but it is justified when we're in their perspectives why they act the way that they do but the novel to me was in some ways it was about Leila and Amar and Hadia trying to figure out what they've done to cause their family to fracture but in some ways they were all pointing at Rafiq to say that you were the one you know you were the one who didn't you you're the one who began this all kind Mm. of thing but so I even thought that that was the case um until it was actually, I was in England. I was visiting my grandmother. She lives in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. I, I, I grew up spending my summers in Birmingham. And so there was this one summer where I had been working on the novel for for year a few years. And I had just written the scene where Layla is at the park and she's watching her husband lovingly. Um, and she just thinks that this is the kind of man that I would have, of course, chosen to be the father for my children. Yeah. Um, and I had just written that scene. So I, I guess there was like a tenderness in my mind that was ready for Rafiq. Yeah. But I remember I went to the cafe and I sat down and I was near the bullring. Um, and I, I don't know what it was, but all of a sudden it was Rafiq's voice that came to me. Mm. And his voice is the one that I've had to work towards the least it's uh, his voice is the one that when I write it I don't remember having written it it just comes Mm -hmm. and I and it came exactly as it is the first line that came to me was when you were born you did not cry your face turned blue almost purple and the initial relief I felt at seeing you Mm -hmm. which is exactly what it is now and I was I myself was in shock Mm -hmm. at, at it and I didn't you know there's a part of me that did think this man is so much older than me He's a father. He's the one that I've been spending this whole novel subconsciously blaming. Yeah. Um, and yet, what does he have to say? And when is he speaking from? Mm-hmm. And then I knew it changed things because it came so much further in time in the novel. Yeah. And so then at that moment, what I realized is he is looking back at his life. Yeah. And he's thinking the same things that, and he's addressing Amar. Um and he's thinking the same things that the ha- the same question that has been driving the novel is is driving Rafiq's perspective, which is, how could I have been a better father to my son? Mm-hmm. What were the moments that I, I spoke and I should have held my tongue? What were the moments that I that I held my tongue and mm. I should have spoken? Um, but also because he is, at the end of his life, you know. I don't think that's a spoiler. It's just 10 years into the future. And he's looking back, and it's in first person. He's also trying to figure out, um, he's thinking about, what does it mean that I've brought my family here? Mm 
Yeah. What kind of world, if I leave them, am I leaving them in? What is the world like? Um, because the um, the context that the family, you know, the throughout the novel, all the characters are so focused on what's happening in small ways. Mm-hmm. You know, there are like in terms of who who are they having feelings for and are they acting on it and what shoes yeah. do they want. And there are scenes when Hadia is looking at Rafiq. And she's she notes like, oh, he's watching the news, mm. or he's reading the newspaper. And she's like, I wonder what's happening that's making him look worried. So there are notes that show that the kind of world that they're living in. Mm-hmm. But Rafiq is the one who's who bears the burden of thinking about it in a direct way because he's not a child, yeah. you know. And he's the one who made this decision. This is where I'm raising my family. Mm. So those are all of the things that he's thinking about in his in his. And I think it is very interesting because each of these characters, when they think about what they could have changed um they place it on Amar because he's missing and he's not there they don't think about how could I have treated Hadia differently so that Amar maybe would you know like so the greater picture would be different it's always what would I have done to him instead Mm -hmm. um because that's easier to think about because they don't know him anymore because he's been absent or they they feel like they don't know him um so they project instead of looking perhaps Yes. where it would be more uncomfortable to look, which is actually just down the street right. where their family is still living. And thinking about it, as I said, like when I um, turned the page and saw that it switched to first person, I was like, why? But when I think about it now, it does make sense because there's a, there's a scene where Rafik is looking in at the kitchen and he sees yeah. um, everyone getting on with their lives very happily and he's standing outside in the rain. He's like, they wouldn't notice if I just left and I wasn't there. Um, and it is like we as readers are Rafiq for most of the book and we're looking in on, mm. on the lives of the other characters in third person and then we reach that point where Rafiq steps into the room and is like, well, actually, this is what I have to say too. Mm. So it does, it ties in really beautifully and makes sense. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> How much of the structure of the book has changed in, in the eight years that you were writing it? Um, the structure has 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 changed with slight, slightly, but um, the general structure of beginning at the wedding, diving into the family's past, going back to the wedding, um, and then the father section has pretty much always been there. There was a time when I played it, played around with um, this idea of having wedding, past sections, wedding, past sections, okay. wedding, and breaking it up that way. Mm-hmm. And then having the father section, okay. Rafiq section, but in the end, um, I decided that it would be best to have wedding, and create the past section as its own arc, mm. and then have um, the wedding again as its own arc. I think you made the right choice. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it would be bad if I said, "Oh, well, I quite like the other yeah. one." but it was interesting because it was it was basically it was, you know, we get to know the characters. We're back at the wedding. What's happening? And then we the secrets are revealed Mm. and then we're back at the wedding but then I thought in the end I want to get to know the characters and reveal the secrets Mm. before we're back at the wedding and when you were doing your um when you were at uni was Marilyn Robinson one of your yes at Iowa she was yeah she was one of my workshop instructors and she is so incredible Mm -hmm. I really loved working with her do you like her I do I mean I have I haven't read all of her work but I have massive respect for her when when you read her, I feel you just know you're in good hands. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And for me, when I was reading her, I, not only did I know I was good in hands, but I was I knew I was in the hands of who I would want to be my teacher, yeah. even before she actually became mm. my teacher, um, just in terms of the way that she 
she approaches fiction and the way yeah, she I mean, her, the characters mind. Exactly, her characters. I, I would say the way that you both write about characters is quite similar. You really feel like you intimately know them and you get those moments where they share things with you via letters or whatever, where you get their specific voices and then mm. you zone out again. Not zone out. Zoom out. <laughs> no, you don't zone out at all. You zone out. You no, put no, the, no, you no. You put the book down. <laughs> no, yeah. definitely not. I'm sure that we could talk about this for a very, very long time. But to pull it together and to give um, the listeners a little bit of a taste of the text of the book, I was wondering if you would mind reading a little bit of it. And we picked a specific section, haven't we? I love this section. Is yeah. that okay for me to say? Yes, it's absolutely okay for you to say. This section always makes me... There are a few sections in the novel that no matter how many times I entered them while editing, mm-hmm. they would still make me cry. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was one of them. Amar has just been asked to repeat third grade. And so he's repeating third grade, but he's having a great time with it because his teacher is really kind. And so the scene is about Layla going into a parent-teacher meeting, which always goes horribly for them, but this time it's kind of sweet. Mm. And the teacher sees Amar and sees um, particularly how Amar should be learning. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the first person who tells, to who alerts Layla into thinking about her son as somebody who maybe needs different kind of love, mm-hmm. who needs a little bit more patience, maybe maybe telling him what to do the way that it works with Hadia won't work with him. Mm. And so he's the first person who introduces this idea to her. And he um, he gives her this project that, um, that Amar worked on, that the students were assigned on Heroes. And he tells her that all the other students did it on superheroes and, yeah, imaginary characters. Yeah. But Layla then reads the project and so the passage is about the project. He passed her a sheet of paper with a photograph attached with the paper clip. She was startled to see the photograph was of her, holding an open envelope, young. She was not wearing a scarf. Rafiq had taken it when they were first married. She stared at a version of herself with dark eyeliner rimming her eyes and dangling golden earrings and her ink-black wavy hair and her fitted pink shalwar chemise. She remembered how she did not know Rafiq was standing in the doorway with his camera until he called her name, and when she looked up, he had clicked. There was an expression of surprise on her face, her mouth a little open, barely a smile but the hint of one. That was the year his camera was always pointed at her if he brought it down from the high shelf where he kept it. A year before Hadia was born, and the only photographs of her became the ones where she was holding their children. She did not know what, the, what album the, this photo was in, or how Amar had found it, or what had possessed him to bring it to class without asking her first. I didn't know he had taken it, was all she could think to say, and she looked up at Oliver, watching her, his face full of pride that confused her, as though he were the one proud of Amar and not she. She was suddenly embarrassed he had seen her without her scarf, or a younger version of herself, and then wondered if the woman who entered his classroom with her face aged and hair covered disappointed him somehow. You can take the project with you. It may not seem like much, he said, but if you read all the other kids' work, you would know a lot of them wrote about imaginary superheroes and you would see how good his writing is, the details he chooses. I told him it was excellent. I gave him an A. 
Layla thanked him and held the paper and photograph in her lap. You're the last one, he told her. You can stay as long as you'd like. So she asked some questions she remembered she wanted to, like what they were learning next, and if he could sense Amar's progress, if he was disruptive in class, and what Oliver meant exactly about being patient with him, if that meant he was slower to understand, or just that he needed kindness when being asked to understand something. Then she asked about Oliver. It was his first and perhaps only year teaching. This was a one-year assignment. And she told him that was too bad, that he seemed like the kind of teacher more students needed. Layla did not read the project until she was home. She tucked it into her purse so Amar would not see that she had it. Amar asked her a hundred times to repeat everything Mr. Hansen said, then asked her if she thought Mr. Hansen liked him or not. He got a scoop of pistachio and Layla got vanilla, and Amar teased her for being so boring, but she just smiled. She said she was very proud of him. And Amar kicked his legs back and forth and said, tell me why exactly. And she thought, no criticism, never again. They looked out the window at the cars leaving the parking lot, the storefronts on the other side of the complex with the bright red awning flapping away. When she was alone in her bedroom, she pulled out his project gently unfolded it and read Oliver's handwriting first. Green ink and all uppercase, it said. Wonderful job, Amar. Great details. Great observations. She smiled, then began to read sentences from Amar's writing. Once, there was a splinter in Huda's thumb. She knew what to do. She made Huda speak what she prayed for so it wouldn't hurt. She never says, I am sad or I am angry, or I am sleepy, and you are all being so loud and annoying. She likes windows. When she puts seed into the earth, the earth grows. She is good at cooking and good at telling stories. Some she makes up herself, so she has a good imagination, but some she repeats from other people, so she has a good memory too. She knows how much we need to eat like a proportion, and we never run out of food and feel hungry. She cares about us eating more than her fingers. She cooked even when her thumb was burned. She gives me food first. She stopped reading, holding back tears and unable to continue without having to bite her knuckle. Was it because of his words or because of the stranger, this young man, who was kind enough to look closely at her son and see what she had seen? You have to excuse us now because we're just going to go cry in a corner. <laughs> that was amazing. Thank you. Thank you for reading that. Thank you. This was this was cool. amazing. This was so fun. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Books with Jen as much as I enjoyed recording it. As I mentioned at the beginning, I also recorded a podcast with Sarah Jessica Parker, which has been posted over on the Vintage Books podcast, if you would like to go and check that out. If you're not already subscribed to this podcast, it would be fabulous if you could do that. Just click subscribe on whatever platform you happen to be listening to it on. And if you do enjoy the podcast, it would be wonderful if you could please rate and review. That helps me out a lot. 
If you have any requests for potential future guests or if you would just like to get in touch to say hello, you can contact me at jenvcampbell at gmail.com and my website is jen-campbell.co.uk. You can find details of all of my books on there and the writing workshops that I run as well, as well as links to my YouTube channel, etc, etc. I will be back with a new episode soon. In the meantime, I hope you read some great books. Lots of bookish love. Bye.